0: Welcome to Buy The Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Doyen. Alright guys, it is the end of 2021, and for the last episode of the year, I want to share a conversation I had with Robert and Jessica, the husband and wife chef team behind Folderol and La Rigmarole, two of my favorite spots in Paris. When I visited the city at the start of the summer, I hit up Folderol, which is a wine bar slash ice cream parlor. I wish there was a portmanteau for that combination of destinations, but unfortunately there isn't, at least not yet. If you can think of one, please let me know. And those of you that know me know that i have not just one sweet tooth but my entire grill is just sweet teeth so um that combination of like pet nat and really amazing ice cream it just like melded perfectly in my belly and convinced me that i needed to move to europe um so i credit my time there with with that decision um, Folderol is the sibling to La Jessica and Robert's yakitori-inspired restaurant. La closed during the peak of the pandemic and just reopened earlier in December for full service. My meal there was transcendent, from the grilled leeks to the torisashi to the oysters that I had. Truly one of the top meals that I've had in the city. Folderol and La share more than just a physical address and a wine cellar. There's a sense of culinary precision as well as a commitment to supporting small, independent winemakers. So with that in mind, Robert, Jessica, and I sat down last month to talk about their relocation from New York to Paris, getting starred by the Michelin Guide, and navigating the ups and downs of the various Parisian lockdowns. I think it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. They enjoyed it. And I think you will too. So here we go. This is Thursday, so this is your first day back? or Second second day day back. Okay, so you guys are closed on... Monday, Tuesday. Monday, Tuesday. Very exciting. What did you do over the uh, industry weekend? We slept. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for once
1: our our kid. Uh, So we have a one and a half year old. And so uh, the past few weeks have been filled with a combination of teething and colds. So he has not been letting us sleep until this past weekend. So we actually were able to sleep this past weekend. Which oh is
0: man, that's rough. Quite a luxury. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough age because at one and a half, they're walking a little bit, right? He's running, yeah. Running, yeah. all right. Yeah. Wild.
1: <laughs> he's crazy.
0: What's his name? Uh, Alfie, Alfred. Alfred, shout out Alfie. Right. We know you're listening, Alfie. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Can Alfie have ice cream? Is that something that he's been introduced to yet? Probably, oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. much ice cream. I think, we, I think
2: we gave him ice cream for the first time... eight months yeah probably
0: do you remember what flavor it was i want to say vanilla
1: probably probably started with mexican vanilla
0: you got to work your way up to like the rhubarb the olive oil the more complicated his recent favorite is mint chocolate chip actually oh i've just got a bougie palette i like this this is good (laughs) This sounds good what time does service start for y'all when do you guys open the shop
2: so on the weekdays we open at four okay and on the weekends we open at two
0: so like walking me through a normal day of service, uh, you guys get in, I'm sure you're checking in orders. Do you make the ice cream the day of or is it kind of like, does it need a day to kind of like ripen up um, and firm up? Like what's kind of the vibe there?
2: So if I'm really organized, I'll mm-hmm. ideally have a base made and then let it mature overnight. And then the next day we spin it in the okay. machine. And that ice cream that's spun the same day needs another 24 hours to sit in the freezer to really hard pack yeah be hard packed be the right texture and for all the flavors to really come through um we can serve it the same day but the ice cream is always better the day after
0: kind of like chili in texas you know we Needs a day to yeah. kind of like really Ragou settle in. in Italy. Yeah. Uh, Cookies,
2: cookie dough. Cookie yeah. dough,
1: yeah, yeah. Ingredients just get to know each other.
0: So a lot of listeners at home maybe make ice cream in their like little Cuisinart that they have. I'm sure it's a very different setup in a large kitchen in a professional ice cream maker. How did you guys uh, get into making ice cream in the first place?
2: Honestly, ice cream is something that we love so, so much. Um, it has been a huge part of the desserts that we make at... Our restaurant, Lorig Merle, where we mostly do grilled food, homemade pasta, and we, have, we basically do menus where there's tons of little dishes. So at yeah. the end of the meal, we wanted a dessert that was really easy to eat and refreshing. Mm-hmm. So that's why we've always focused on ice cream. It's always been ice cream with maybe a little something else to go with it. And so we've been doing ice cream, ala rigmarole for uh, a while but when we when we uh, opened up fold we had to really completely shift gears and we had to sh- change all the recipes to adapt to this big batch freezer and sorbetiere, yeah, and it's been a really fun process learning something new uh,
1: playing with flavors in a different playing way with textures playing with different recipes you know like we don't have just one base we have a bunch of different bases that we adapt based on what we want to do you know so uh you know we, we make sorbets we do uh, sort of like fruit ice creams that are mainly yogurt based um you know sort of sherbets uh or like creamsicle sometimes we call it and then we also have cream cheese bases non-egg bases egg bases you know and then and then the different mix-ins that we put in are all are all homemade and so like it's just it's and
2: sorbets is a whole nother a beast. What's the shape. hardest
1: one to make of sorbets. all of those Any sorbets? sorbet, sorbets of anything that is liquid that has no uh, you know volume texture. You know, like making making a peach sorbet is actually pretty easy. Making a melon sorbet is is a bitch. It's really really hard. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Well, it's just it's just because it, the, the the texture because it's all about texture and texture with ice cream comes from sugar more often than not like in a in in an ice cream you're also getting texture from fat but in a sorbet it's it's mainly sugar Mm. and so the fruit needs to have its own weight in order to to carry itself Um, and so anything that's very liquid will be very difficult to get the texture right and since especially we only use fresh fruit every different fruit is different based on where it is on, where it is in the season, where totally. it is, you know, just this specific batch. So you're there trying to adapt sugars. You know, we, we, we tried to use a bricks meter at some point, but that ends up
0: being- You just call up one of your more... winemakers and you're like, hey, I, I just need, I need to borrow your bricks meter for a minute. I know you're in the yeah, middle of harvest. One. We have one, but... they're
1: actually cheap. They're just very hard to use.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, got a delivery coming in. This is great. <laughs> Maybe while that order is getting um, checked in, we can kind of place listeners in kind of a timeline of sorts, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, kind of the timeline when the rigmarole opened kind of the gestation for that and then leading into a uh, folder roll.
2: Yeah, I'm really terrible with dates. Time is a construct, <laughs> I mean. We, uh, let's see. So we opened rigmarole in October of...
0: 2,000 and... Sorry. No, don't worry about it. We were we were actually just uh, going to go through kind of a timeline for listeners as to when the space that we're in right now, Le Rimmer opened, and then when Folder Roll opened next door. Okay.
2: What year did we
0: open? I I uh, we opened it. in 2017, in
1: October 2017. Mm. Uh, so we, we moved back to France. So just to give a, a whole story, um, both. Uh, so I'm h- half French, half American. Jess is uh, Taiwanese-American from, from California. Um, we both uh, did American universities, uh, but then decided to uh, start cooking. Um, I started working in New York uh, in like 2009, and in 2010, Jess came to uh, Paris to study at Ferrandi, one of the more you know, prestigious uh, culinary schools, um, and she specialized in pastry. Um, and then she did her internship at Guy Savoy, where I was working. And this was in like 2010 or 11 or something. And that's where we met. And then we decided to move back to New York, thinking that uh, we would... Um,
2: open something open there. Open something there, settle yeah, down there.
1: That, that America was our, our place to be. And so we worked in New York for four three years. and a half years, yeah, four years, um, and decided that it was definitely not for our at our speed uh, made for us and so we moved back to paris in 2016
0: was that like a, a slow aha moment or was there like was a hard quick. thing that it like... was a pretty quick aha no, it moment? Was,
2: it was immediately after yeah. we yeah. got yeah. there and yeah. it never changed i mean we, we were open to uh staying if things you know were different but after you know staying at a restaurant for a year and then moving to another restaurant another restaurant you just realize like no everything everything's the same new york New York is what determines how restaurants have to be. There's a ton of...
1: As in the, the, the imperatives, the economic imperatives yeah. of a restaurant as, as you go through rent, as you go through, mean that uh, things have to be at a scale which was much larger than what we wanted it to be. Um, and if it's not a question of scale, then it's a question of price. You know, it's it's Your, your rent costs so much, but your labor costs are low, so therefore you have a lot of labor um, you have long services, you have lunch and dinner and you have seven days a week. Uh, you have no
2: vacation. You
1: have no vacation. Um, I, I also want to say that the products are, are honestly quite better just as a, as a baseline in, in Paris. Um,
2: significantly better, it's significantly easier yeah. to cook here. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can just do anything with, uh, some delicious, you know, ingredient Vegetables. that you get yeah. from the market, really? you barely have to do anything to it and it's delicious. Hmm. Um, In New York, you really learn how to transform the ingredient in a way that uh,
1: that will make it taste good. Yeah, yeah. It's transformation versus versus minimalism. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, And but that being said, we learned a lot uh, working in Paris. You know, in New York, I'm sorry, uh, you learn a lot. It's uh, an amazing learning
2: experience. Yeah.
1: You learn efficiency. You learn, uh, you know really it was really hard work um mm. uh but we always you know from the moment we got there we saw ourselves in in paris um and then we moved back in 2016 it took us a year and a half to find a space but during that time we worked a little bit here and there and then finally we found rigmarole and opened in october 2017 and it sort of took off and
0: and did the idea for rigmarole like was it a set idea all along or slowly as you looked for locations, kitchens, spaces, it, it slowly evolved into what it became?
2: It's a little bit of both. I mean, we definitely had an idea of what we wanted to do, what we wanted to showcase, the feeling. We mm-hmm. wanted a small, you know, family restaurant where we're both behind the counter, able to interact with uh, clients and... Um, I think the idea really became concrete when we found the space. It uh, really worked with what we wanted. We designed it with our architect to make it even more so. And Mm -hmm. with discussions during construction, um, even before we found this place, Robert and I were really able to hone in on exactly what it is that we wanted.
1: But that being said, like we, we did have a pretty firm idea of a couple things. like we definitely wanted uh, a counter. Like that was like non-negotiable. We, we needed to have a counter. We wanted to have that contact with customers and that sort of, Immediacy between the food, uh, you know, the, the the contact between us, the food and the customer, mm-hmm. uh, that is a direct line. We're not behind a door, and we're not even just you're going to question an open kitchen like we are literally serving the customer, you know, taking away the dirty plates. And then the other imperative was uh, charcoal grilling. You know, so I, I uh, studied Japanese and spent quite a bunch of time in, in Japan. And what then, part? Uh, I mean, mainly when I was there is a combination of Tokyo, but then when I spent a a large chunk there, it was middle of nowhere. Um, I spent a few months working in a ramen shop in uh, Yamagata up up north in in Honshu, and I worked in a uh, fishing village cutting fish uh, in in Shizuoka. But at that point, I was just still a student. It was just a way to to gain fluency in in Japanese. I was like, I'm not going to do a study abroad program. Because it'll just be a kind of a waste of uh, time and money. Um, so instead, I'll just get these little jobs and I'll just be thrown yeah. into the and then force jump into the deep
0: end. Exactly. Yeah,
1: and I'm really happy I did it because that's what allowed me to you know still be able to speak Japanese years later. But anyway, so I use the fact that I could speak Japanese uh, to work in a yakitori restaurant in in New York. Uh, I worked at, at Torishin for close to two years. Um, at that point, was the the only you know michelin-starred yakitori place outside of japan um and just learned so much and and just the, the sort of simplicity of of grilling over charcoal of presenting these ingredients that we were talking about earlier uh just just with no with no fuss with no artifice except for just this this sort of uh
2: Skewer on a plate. Yeah, a skewer With salt, on a plate. Yeah. maybe a little lemon, maybe a little pepper. Yeah, but... yeah,
1: just these little touches that heighten it, but really trying to present the the ingredients and the and the products for what they are, you know. And so we don't we don't uh, we don't do necessarily traditional yakitori. Although uh, at at Rigmaro, although um, a lot of uh, Japanese people come for uh, yakitori menus, you know. We, we also do fish and, and a lot of vegetables. Uh, Sometimes different meats, but, but still mainly mainly chicken. Uh, we don't do any beef. We, we rare, very rarely do lamb. Uh, so it's mainly a combination of pork and different uh, fowl. And then a lot of fish that we get directly from either Brittany or the Mediterranean or you know it's, it's very direct and, and it's very, very high quality, which is which is super cool. And then no we, hotline
0: to Tajiki Market? No, no, uh,
1: no. Well, well we're, we're sort of against that. That was one of the things that we saw in New York where the only nice things we would see were coming directly from Tsukiji, yeah. which was sad because it's stuff that was basically caught in the Atlantic that was then either shipped <laughs> to Tsukiji just yeah. to be shipped back and at these absurd prices you know and that, that's another thing is that we try to keep our restaurant democratic we're not yeah. trying to break the bank of either ourselves so or we want to our,
2: support the local people the yeah local exactly for, uh, friends yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah,
1: you know like uh, th- these are the fishermen with, which with whom we have not a I mean we, we work through a, 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 a sort of gatherer of fishermen but we know the, you know the name the of the names, dude who yeah. who, who uh, gives us our scallops and and, uh,
0: and who's they, your scallop plug who's the uh what, what's his name <laughs> his name is Tommy. me to me shout Tumi. out to me Tumi. yeah he's, he's, a, he's a yeah
1: we've never met him but I, I, you know we get
0: we get but the we text get text messages, text messages of what they've morning. caught yeah. of what they
2: caught in the morning and then we let them know yeah, well, the, we, yeah want this, we want this It's very different that.
0: than yeah, okay. reaching out to cisco or some exactly, like american exactly. conglomerate to get your yeah. to get your shit delivered so
1: um, and so exactly. I guess, and guess, you know, like just to, to, to talk about, about the, the sort of identity and that that's what it ends up being is, uh, rigmarole, just like folder the, the ice cream parlor, just like the restaurant are, uh, places that reflect us, um, both our, our travels, our, our who we are, what we think is important, what we want to eat at the end of the day. It's, it's what... <laughs>
2: we want to share yeah
1: but we're also making a restaurant or an ice cream parlor or a wine bar in a way where we would want to experience it and i think that that often resonates with with a lot of people because there's we're not doing it
2: we're not following the newest you know architectural trend which is really hard because when you when you shop for furniture you have a very (laughs) limited selection and you're almost like pushed into this corner and uh no, we've really we really try to look for a nice mix between our style um, what's comfortable for clients but and also just what reflects yeah course
1: the food and the flavor yeah it's, it's more just like is this is this an yeah. ice cream that we would want to eat is this a wine that we would want to drink is this not is this but not, that we would but not wanna... just
2: like one bite it's a whole pint. I want to eat a whole oh, pint of this. Cream, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, a, yeah. like the pasta. We but I'm sure
0: you, you guys know. saw that when you were in New York too, like these food trends where it's just like, there was a year where ramps were on every single fucking oh, restaurant oh, yeah. list where it was like everyone had ramps, you know? Pickled ramps, Pickled yeah. ramps for, for months after. I know, it was wild. Yeah. Jessica, you said that you're Taiwanese-American, right? Mm-hmm. So are there any influences of Taiwanese food here at La Rigmarole?
2: Definitely, definitely. Um that's what's cool when we cook is it's really like Robert said a culmination of our experiences yeah. and how we cook at home so mm-hmm. honestly we put you know when we're cooking we'll put colatura uh, fish sauce and then we'll put a little bit of Taiwanese soy sauce mm-hmm. and something to to season our you know pasta that we're making at home um there's always tons of things that my mom made when i was a kid yeah. that uh influence the flavors uh that we use here lots of garlic you know a hmm. little bit of sugar there's always some garlic and sugar in a lot of taiwanese cooking but i think it's more a, a mentality yeah into... that's what i was gonna say it's
1: like this uh, i think taiwanese cooking has a, a down-to-earthedness uh, about it and this this approachability. this this I just want to eat more, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like if you ask me any food that I crave right now, it's Taiwanese food. Like it's, it just has this, you know, Japanese, uh, food has, has a full spectrum of, of, um, you know, fine dining to street food, uh, which, which still, you know, is it, is its own thing. But Taiwanese food has this, this, I don't know how to describe this, this craveability that just is what, i want to emulate in in a restaurant like that's what i want to experience in a restaurant i want and and i think that to a certain extent we've, we've been able to achieve that i want people to crave rigmarole like the, to me that's the most yeah. important it'd be like whoa i just want
0: Again, like the michelin man craves rigmarole you guys got that star right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's pretty rad yeah. did you guys do anything to celebrate pop a bottle of champagne when you got that star
2: did so. we? No, no. no. We,
0: uh... <laughs> You're just like, all right, cool. Back to service.
1: Uh, well, no, it's, it's it's an honor. It's a it's a it's a great honor. But uh... we were a little. We were
2: we were just kind of like, wow, we're really getting a star. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I think we were probably in disbelief. It was. Uh, it seemed a little uh, premature to celebrate without actually seeing.
1: Then, yeah, the <laughs> funny thing is that we, you know, that then then all of the lockdowns started happening as mm, soon as we got it. You know? so man, it's like we, we got it. I was also pregnant. Oh yeah, just was. I was heavily. also pregnant,
2: uh, so we were a little <laughs> distracted. Yeah,
0: no, for but sure. The, I mean, and the other thing is
1: that at the end of the day, we also just didn't do it for a Michelin star, it, yeah. and that's why I'm saying it's, it's a huge honor that that they because like we're not a Michelin type restaurant. You know, we don't have tablecloths. We have, we're behind a counter. There's only four people working here. There's a dishwasher. There's me, there's Jess, and there's one front of the house person. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not your typical Michelin-y place. So it, it was never what we set out to achieve. We just wanted to, to make nice food. Um,
0: was there a concern in that way that like... Oh, now that we have this star, people are going like we're gonna get guests that come in that are expecting something different than what we typically do We've always wanted to surpass
1: expectations uh, But that's that's and that's what we do is also understand expectations You, you mm-hmm. have to sort of treat each customer like an individual, which is also what we do at rigmarole There is no fixed chef's menu. There is uh, an a la carte and then there's like a sort of omakase of chef's menu but for each individual person and each table that menu is different and that's what's cool it's it's based on a conversation with you where we take the a la carte menu and be like is there anything that you like uh, that you see here that you really want or anything that you're allergic to are you are you pescatarian are you vegetarian where are you from what's what's you know what's your story um, and then based on you know, levels of adventureness uh, based on expectations as far as we can understand it, we create a menu because there's not only what we have a la carte, there's a bunch of other things. like that <laughs> is the, the basis of, of Yakitori. It's that with one chicken you might get uh, you know four legs skewers, but you only get you know you need, you need two and a half chickens to make one tail skewer. so I'm not going to put, the tail on on, <laughs> on the à la carte—that's yeah. going to go exclusively on on chefs' menus, you know. And so, totally. if it's someone who's adventurous, we we're doing chicken kidneys or salmon head or or uh, you know aorta um, or neck or yeah. uh, you know cartilage and, and things like that. For people who are slightly less adventurous, we have the
0: the you know chicken do, tenderloin. yeah, the
1: chicken tenderloin, or, or the, mm-hmm. the soliles the oyster of the chicken, and and you know a beautiful piece.
0: Of I don't I don't think I'm familiar with that. The oyster of the chicken, I'm not familiar it's, with that uh, piece. In French, it's what called it? the
1: soliles It's the top of the thigh. It's this one okay. nugget of meat that is um, on a roast chicken. It's on the bottom. Mm. Just, so in French, it's called it's usually the up against the bone.
2: Yeah, so you have to like scrape it
0: off. Yeah, I'm used yeah. to a different chicken nugget uh, that we yeah, have yeah, a little no, bit no, no. More it's a, but the, it's, it's like
1: a nugget of meat. It's yeah. Like this little round, juicy it's, and it's—it's it's considered the best part. So the sorires in French means you know the the, the fool leaves it behind hmm. because it's on the bottom of the roast chicken. It just gets sort of thrown out with the carcass. Huh. So and, and, and that's, that's what they call it in Japan as well. It's sori or soridesu, um, and and that's you know what it what it is. It's you know the idiot leaves it behind because it's the best part. You know it's sort of like. The, the cheek of uh, of a fish uh, yeah you know like that sort of that sort of
0: thing no for sure yeah I guess it sounds like Alfie came around right around the time covid started right
2: yes well he was, well, he, was, know, he, was born, he was born in may so it was right
0: oh so you're like a week. month and a half two months into this uh, well uh,
2: we decided to it was at the end of the confinement of the, Paris, first yeah. the first lockdown and the first lockdown in Paris and we basically. De- but we, yeah, but restaurants were still
0: to... locked down until July. So yeah, when did? The end oh, of the, I thought yeah, it yeah, yeah. was
2: reopened in June, and we decided to take. Uh, a- it when it did... at the
0: end of June, beginning yeah. of okay. July. Was it a Macron thing? Like he he pulled the lever on when restaurants were opening, or was it done on a more municipal level? Like when you think back to early March, who kind of like pulled the trigger and said like, "This is when things are closing." Restaurants. Or... This was a government. Yeah. Yeah. It, was it was, no, it was, was dependent no on the,
2: the cases that were yeah. at the hospital. I mean, uh,
1: but there was you're right. There were different municipal parts. I forget. Everything is now blurred. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Point. But there was a different time when you know, like restaurants in Marseille, because there were there was a question of thresholds um, yeah. at different points in time, and so at the. But I think that was in October. I think it was like September, October. For a while, uh, Marseille got shut down while mm-hmm. Paris was still operating. It was on a region per region basis. But I think that the first lockdown and eventually the second lockdown and the third lockdown, I forget. I, don't yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, all restaurants were basically permanent, permanently locked down starting in October of last year. Yeah. Whereas the lockdowns were also uh, slightly uh, more uh, flexible for yeah. different businesses. So I think uh, that's why we could open folder all during the lockdown, because a wine bar, I mean mm-hmm. a wine cove is, uh, is an story. essential business. And it's also a to-go business.
0: Well, what an amazing world we live in where a yeah. wine cave is an essential business. Exactly. But I mean like the food that you serve here, right? You were talking about the minimalism, just the purity of the ingredients cooked over charcoal. That doesn't really translate in a to-go setting. Oh, right? we, we, I can't we didn't imagine, do anything right? to no. go for regular. No, milk. you just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't do anything. We did like the
1: only, the only things that we did here were... Uh, we did some like hospital. Um, oh yeah, we meals decided to cook a, a week, uh, yeah. um, that were that were then delivered to hospitals, but we basically Amazing. just put rigmarole on the back burner and concentrated on folderol.
0: So folderol, as you mentioned, ice cream shop and wine cave. But as we were talking about before we started recording, they're not necessarily like meant to go together. like like they're in, under the same roof, but they are not have your ice cream with your wine. Uh, it's like, come in, have really good ice cream, come in, have really good wine. Like, how did that just, like, come together?
2: Well, the space, uh, when we found it, used to be a wine cave, And oh, okay. the the cave itself is really, really beautiful. We haven't done much to it except add a bunch of shelves. So when we took over the space, we thought mm-hmm. immediately we want to do ice cream. Uh, yeah. Ice cream is always something we've wanted to do. Um, but... We also love wine, and we have tons of it. How did you guys get into
0: wine in the first place? Like, was it when you were living in New York? Was it growing up in California? Like, what was the vibe? Uh,
2: yeah, we we I was able to taste a lot of really amazing wines when I was working at Rebel mm-hmm. in New York. Um, it was a it was a restaurant that had an amazing natural wine list, and of all prices, it was. I'm even still amazed at. How much wine Patrick was able to get in New York? Wines that I'm still having a really hard time getting in Paris. <laughs> Are you getting France. any of
0: Patrick Cappiello's wines here? It, I know he's making a lot now, right?
2: No, no, we aren't. We aren't. No, um, it's 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 a little bit of a harder sell to yeah. French people American wines, yeah, especially with the with the duty and taxes. It becomes really. Really difficult yeah. to sell, uh,
1: especially at that price point. You know, yeah. the thing is, like, you, know, you have, if you're gonna sell a bottle for for 40, 50 euros, it's a really hard sell for French people to buy a, an American wine at that price. Mm-hmm. They
2: already have a hard time accepting <laughs> Italian
1: and German wines, and at, German that price. wines at that price. Uh, so. so yeah, America would be a very hard sell.
0: So you were uh, working with Patrick, l- learning about wine through him. Yeah, and... it's,
2: it's, a. I didn't, yeah, of course I learned, I learned a little bit. I didn't have tons of time, but it was great because they really, uh, the team really made sure that everyone in the restaurant could taste a bunch of yeah. stuff. So that was really cool. And after we came to Paris, we really Drove dove into in. it. Yeah. And it's it's really easy when you have a restaurant because people people come to you they make you try things it's it's less on your budget um, and it's cool because uh, you can try a ton of things without actually. You know, you eating out and you yeah. expand your palate, you expand your
1: palate on, your... On, on on someone else's dime, and you you sort of in a really short amount of yeah. time, which is cool
2: because you don't have to be yeah, you don't have to be an alcoholic necessarily and go mm-hmm. out you're and spitting. no, you're just <laughs>
1: <trying to, laughs> yeah. drunk um, but but another thing that that's with with wine buying is is that it, it becomes a drug. You know, it's it's like collecting. You're like, oh, yeah, I need
0: more. I need more. Yeah. I see this and box so, of longalore that you have back there. That I, one's I, f-
1: filled. That one's filled with Vetter. It's filled with uh, Stefan Vetter that needs no, to be returned. Man. But uh, that's a different story um but uh yeah no. i mean we, we just, we
0: just looking at some things. other boxes here in the dining room of la we've got some uh Oki Pinti, it looks like over there oh, that's andrea though from the lazio oh all right uh, there we go there we go yeah
1: there's some mame blanche over there
2: oriel uh, artigas oriel
1: artigas do um, oh, i love
0: those artigas wines yeah. so really so amazing. delicious yeah,
1: really really, really but, um, and yeah, and the, the other thing is that, yeah, the, the more, the more you start, uh, creating relationships with, uh, agents, winemakers, you know, like, uh, we were, we're, we're sort of a winemaker, a place that winemakers like to come eat. Labé's eaten here twice, and Jean has come here like three or four times, you know, like, just, just to throw a couple out. But they really like to come here, they like to have their wines here. And the more you build these sorts of relationships with winemakers, the, the more you you want to support to them. support them, you know, like through through thick and, and share thin, their through, wines yeah, with, yeah, with
2: our awesome clients, <laughs> and that's what
1: that's what's awesome with with all these wines is that we end up uh, forming a personal relationship with them, which makes them much more uh, close to us, and it, and it ties into that whole sort of idea of identity and personality that is through that, that you, you feel coming to either rigmarole or folderol. These are these are choices that we've made, not based on a spreadsheet it's it's based on on who we've met what we've tasted mm-hmm. uh, where we've been you know uh we have a huge affinity for Beaujolais for Jura you know, for, for Italian wines, for for Austrian wines, for German wines, um, Spanish wines, yeah. That's Even exactly. I saw some yeah. Japanese wine on the shelf. You yeah, had Takeda, we have one. We have one right? Yeah, Takeda, Yeah, Sans Souffre, uh, Who's
0: bringing that into the market? Is that through just Japanese a, importer. an importer? importer. Uh, yeah.
1: Who who mainly does it in the opposite direction? Who mainly brings uh, French wines to Japan? Mm. But this is one of the ones that she brings from Japan. Which I thought would be fun, you know, since we have this this Japanese band and we don't serve sake. Uh, we mm-hmm. have shochu's, but we don't do sake. I thought it would be nice to have a little, you know, wink and a nod.
0: Uh, yeah, you were talking a bit how the, the wine program itself isn't adhering to any one specific region or any one specific country. It's really just a matter of who you've developed relationships with. But coming into it from the perspective of trying to secure wines i mean we were talking earlier about trying to get an allocation of something and we have an idea in the u.s that a lot of these wines end up just staying in france that the reason we don't get you know a big allocation of something in the states is because it's all staying here but what we were talking about i think is that it's actually kind of hard to get some of these wines if you don't necessarily have a relationship with the winemaker right
2: yeah, I think uh, I think there's definitely been a history with winemakers and restaurants in Paris where, uh, notoriously, Paris is known for not paying winemakers on time or sometimes <laughs> not being able to pay winemakers. So, I think there was. Um, like a couple years ago, a lot of wine winemakers would actually prefer to sell their wine to the U.S. because they would be paid right away. There was a demand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's good for marketing. There's a hype around it. And now Girard is really difficult to get in France. And now the demand is there. Um, and it's it's really interesting that I mean, the winemakers are, per, you know, they need to make a living. And if...
0: You send a WhatsApp to Alice trying to get your octaval, yeah. right? Well, yeah, we, we, we have mean? an email. We have an allocation. Just, yeah, <laughs> just gives us stuff
1: every year. We can't really choose it, right? Oh, well, we can. Oh,
2: we, <laughs> choose, oh, we can? Yeah, oh, nice. We yeah, choose. We choose. Yeah. We choose. Nice. Um, yeah. No, the me um, just gives us whatever they want. Julien Bay gives us whatever he wants.
1: Um gives give us
2: whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, I mean... It's it's fun to to be able to have the winemaker choose what they want in our shop, and we and it's cool because these are often winemakers where
1: we don't really care.
2: Yeah, it's like we love everything you do.
1: So. Yeah, I mean yeah. It's, if it's not you know good now, we know it'll be good in, in a year, yeah. and that's what's also fun with with the wine that that we have is that we get a lot of wine, we taste a lot of wine, we and then that's part of the job as well is to learn how the wine's going to evolve, what it's going to taste like in in a year and six months and in a couple years and five years and, and to have that sort of freedom to keep a few bottles to the side, see how it, how it, you know, evolves. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a lot of the ones that we have, we get in and we're like, Oh wow, this needs more time. <laughs> so we're just going to sit on it for six months and yeah. reopen a bottle. And, you know, there's some wines that we're still opening five years later, you know, four years later and, and just being like, wow, this, this is
0: and do you find that which wines you choose to bring in and the wines that you choose to discuss with guests, like does it change in a sit-down restaurant environment compared to a Cove or wine bar setting?
1: Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a different relationship. Uh, well, first of all, uh, the cost is, is going to be different. Yeah. Uh, the expectations are also different. Um, but that being said, you, you also want to try to read the customer. You know, what, what are they looking for? What's what's their story? Are they are they traditionalists? Are they are they, you know, wine bros? Are they do they want to be wow? What's what's the, you know what's their budget? Um, and and so that's where being a sommelier ends up being almost more of a like, psych, psychoanalyst job rather than purely a, a flavor pairing kind <laughs> of thing. You're like. What is this person looking for? It's the same thing that we do with the menus. Same thing we do with the ice cream. It's it's like, what what is this person looking for, and how can we meet, surpass, play with those expectations? Um, Whether it's whether it's we're going to take out something that's not even on our cart because we know that this person will like it. Whether it's their, you know, we also build relationships with our customers. If it's the third time they come, if it's the seventh time they come, we're going to be playing with a different deck of cards than the first time um and we're gonna try stuff out you know
2: and we know what they like already so
0: which can sometimes be tricky in a retail capacity because they're gonna take that bottle home with them you don't know if they're drinking it that night a week from now you don't get that immediate satisfaction that you get in a restaurant when you pour someone a glass of something it's not
1: immediate but we always ask the return because a lot of our customers are returning customers like Mm -hmm. and that's that's what's awesome I mean, what I'm really happy about, I guess, at the end of the day is that we do have a lot of returning customers, whether it's at Rignol or Folderol, but I mean, right now our, <laughs> it's it's only folderal, so it's only the ice cream parlor and Cove. Um, and, and we're always talking about, it's like, well, you know, how did that go? Was it good? You know, every now and then you will be like, yeah, but mm, yeah, maybe not up my alley. And you know, we're like, okay. So then, you know, you put that in your little yeah. uh, brain and, and, you know, try and remember what, what these people like. and. Yeah. Um, and that's what it is, because, like, not everyone loves natural wines. Not everyone loves uh, conventional wines, and that's totally fine.
0: But everyone loves ice cream. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, some people, you'd be surprised. They're like, oh, no, I'm not really, I know, i no, really <laughs> just like, what is wrong with you? That's what awesome. a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do
0: you not like puppies either? Like, what? what's the vibe here? Yeah. Can you tell when someone walks into the shop whether they're, like, here for ice cream or whether they're here for wine? Yeah like generally like I imagine like a five-year-old comes into the shop with their parents that person's not here for a <laughs> yeah. bottle of or so, Matassa well, that's but, what's
1: actually really strange is that uh, you know you've been you've been to Folderol the, the ice cream is actually relatively discreet you know it's behind the counter there's no big sprawling you know cases of of ice cream yeah. it's it's you know kind this of isn't like, a Ben and
0: Jerry's this isn't a yeah, Baskin mean, Robbins ice cream on display
1: yeah it's, it's the ice cream is behind and it's in these like pazzettis yeah. and, and you know, uh, some people don't even know that we do ice cream until they leave and we're like, hey, you guys want an ice cream? <laughs> you know, we have them taste. I'm like, wow, this is actually really good. But I always want, even if, you know, because a lot of people are just there for a drink just because they don't know. You know, they're just walking by and they see a bunch of wine and they're like, oh, yeah. okay, let's go have a glass of wine and some charcuterie and some focaccia and stuff like that. And then they're like, wait, wait, you guys do ice cream too? and then sometimes you you win them over sometimes they're like oh no we don't really want any ice cream often i'll try and force a a spoon of ice cream on them they're like oh but uh you you can tell you can tell when people are there for ice cream or not you know the more tourists we get also uh, you know that they're there for both
0: and i'm sure that's been really tricky right because france was close to you know, tourists for a very long period of time. Now there's the whole pass sanitaire thing, people are coming in. I guess it's been since June, right, that people are allowed in. How's that kind of like caused changes in the ebbs and flows of service?
2: Well, to be honest, the confinement was, or the reopening after lockdown has been really beneficial for us because we were able to focus on just takeaway ice cream and not really the wine. Uh, and dine part of it so we were able to uh, change our recipes really Mm -hmm. make everything the way we wanted it and then slowly we reopened as a wine bar and it was cool because our, our ice creams were you know down pat our recipes were great we were trying new things and and then we could start working on how to serve clients' charcuterie, how to work on our focaccia. Um, And we really were able to move forward on that before we started getting tourists in who wanted to do wine and ice cream pairings. And that's cool too because I think it would have been hard to handle everything at once. We really chose... We didn't choose an easy concept. Like (laughs) It's it's really two separate two separate uh metier i mean we
0: do you go into each day like prepared like if someone comes in asking for an ice cream and wine pairing like how you how you handle that question no 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 No?
1: Uh, but you know because
2: it's it's too it's too difficult to plan things out like that i think or maybe we're just not that kind of well what we might might
1: do is is try and pick a couple bottles of wine that we're gonna because we don't have a fixed by the glass uh cart either um it's what we feel like opening it's what uh, customers want you know so we sort of like do a, a quick perusal and um look at at what we have around and Mm -hmm. what we feel like opening what we feel like it's kind of like the
2: wine is kind of like the ice cream you know you're like oh it's really cold today what do i want to eat i want Mm -hmm. a scoop of cinnamon maybe some Mm -hmm. pumpkin you know like and same with uh wine i think you're like i want i want some yeah i want something that's gonna make me warm a little bit spiced uh but
1: it's it also rare, depends on, on the customers, you know, like yeah. we give ourselves a like, oh yeah, we could do that. We could do that. We could do that. And then, you know, like we'll, we'll open, we'll talk again, we'll talk with people. What are you looking for out of this glass of wine that you yeah. are asking of us? And we will be like, oh, well, I want this, this, this. And so like, okay, well, let's open this and see how it, how it goes. And then, you know, often we'll, 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 serve the wine before we serve the ice cream if people want a parent, just so that you can at least prepare your palate for ice cream, for, for wine. Yeah. <laughs> and then add ice cream onto it and sugar and cold but at, least, at least you've already had some of the wine again it's not something that we truly truly recommend but you know people, people do what they want and that's what we want to do is also give this sort of freedom to the customer yeah. to make of it what they want we will sort of ensure the quality of what we do we try to make as good an ice cream as possible and have the best wines possible And then what you want to do and the best charcuterie and the best focaccia and the best olives and so on and so forth. But what you want to do within those confines is up to you as a customer. It's not for us to really uh, enforce it. If you want to do, you know, some people come in, they have ice cream, they get comfortable. They're like, we have a glass of wine. Yeah. Oh, you guys have charcuterie. Oh, could I have some charcuterie (laughs) and and a focaccia? And yeah, why not some anchovies? Like, okay, another glass of wine. Why not a bottle? And they'll finish with more ice cream and so often it's, it's like, you just
0: grab my dream meal right yeah, there I mean, it's like <laughs> yes. bookended
1: by ice cream in a weird way and, and it's, it sounds magical it's, it's yeah. really fun it's it's and it's just about you know you don't have to you can yeah. you can go in have your bottle. you can even take and that, that's the other thing it's also sort of like a one-stop shop if you want to go to a dinner you're like okay i'm gonna go there i'm gonna get a bottle of wine two pints of ice cream and i will go to this dinner mm-hmm. that i'm invited to and i will have both dessert and a bottle of wine and and I'll be set. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just things that give pleasure to people where also the in-depthness of one will not affect the other one. You can have an awesome wine program and you can have an awesome ice cream program without them clashing. You know, mm-hmm. It's different jobs at the end of the day. It's not like, for example, the kitchen space is being taken over by uh, my pasta production or something like that. Yeah. And we're, we're vying for space and we're doing like an ice cream and and pasta you know where where the the i don't know fridge space freezers yeah. whatever you need is being taken over by one thing or another it's their own distinct universes you talk
0: to a lot of pastry chefs and they say that that they're always fighting for space the in the kitchen or a voice or, in the kitchen exactly you know? yeah so
1: and so that's that's another reason it was just like we can do both of these things yeah. super well under the same roof without them uh clashing or, or you know
2: yeah and when we have uh, when it's winter and we're selling less ice cream people will be drinking wine it's a yeah. uh, liquid blanket it works yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> is there an ice cream flavor that you've worked on that's kind of like your white whale the flavor that you have yet to perfect that you've worked really hard to get the soy
1: sauce and the saffron are two that we're uh, permanently sort of unsatisfied with
0: is that a is that one flavor? Two, two, two okay. different flavors. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. All right. Uh, like a saffron. So we have we have uh, an Iranian friend uh, who gave us a bunch of a saffron and and really wanted us to to make this uh, dessert, which is, you know, is it called? Uh, Akbar Mashti, I think is what it's called, which is a combination of, of uh, saffron, rose water, and uh, pistachios. Mm-hmm. So we like set about making saffron ice cream, and we've never quite you know gotten it to a level where. We're happy with the level of saffron, sugar, or the saffron is tasting exactly how we want it to be, or it doesn't sort of end up tasting like a saffron risotto, but in ice yeah. cream form, you know, it's it's a little it's a little weird. And then the soy sauce, it's just a question of like I, I really like the the soy sauce ice cream that we've that we've made, but every time it's just slightly different, and and we can't get it like. One point. But we're we're nearing, I think. We're nearing caramel. This. I think yeah. caramel, oh, caramel though yeah. bursale
2: is something that uh, we have I, I need to work on. But she refuses to. <laughs> I just really don't like it. So Really? Like
0: What's this. your beef with uh salted caramel ice cream?
2: Uh, I just find I just don't like ice creams that are too sweet and mm. caramel is just way it too just sweet. It's so just sweet, yeah. yeah. It's hard to create enough enough uh i don't know to make it bitter well, yeah. but not too bitter and um, to balance everything the right way i just haven't been
0: there was an ice cream shop back in boston when i was uh, living there called toscanini's that did a uh, burnt caramel bourbon ice cream that was just so good
2: yeah bourbon uh, helps bourbon would, help <laughs> a lot, yeah, it would bridge it would bridge gap. yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Do you fuck with any liqueurs or is it, have you ever got, have you ever like done like anything with like chartreuse or it's on our short banal it's on our, we're,
2: or we're planning to do a chartreuse ice cream? Yeah. We would use the, the elixir. You
1: know, Ooh like the, yeah. The, the non-sugar, non-sweetened, the, not the liqueur, the, the, the elixir. Yeah. We made one with, with rosé uh, and watermelon and sorbet with. Uh, that sounds with great. Watermelon. We put a little bit of a uh, williams in our, in our pear sorbet um, a little bit of rum here and there when we when we feel like
0: it. Uh, yeah, there's no Mac van de Jura ice a sorbet on the way though. No, I mean the thing. No is, quartz de Chomme, so Chenin our, Blanc. Our
1: way. Our way of looking at it is that if you have a good wine, why waste it by putting it in an ice cream? <laughs> and if you have a bad wine, why waste your ice cream by putting bad wine in it? You know. Mm-hmm. So it's you have to find uh, something. You have to find a, a sort of good uh middle ground where yeah you know like why why would you put good wine in an ice cream you're just ruining (laughs) wine and what's the point in using bad wine
0: yeah yeah no for sure (laughs) um are there other things that we didn't talk about that you'd want listeners to know um either about the shop or about ice cream or your experiences running a restaurant in Paris that maybe people listeners may not know. It's
1: it's been it's been you know sounds a little uh, uh, stereotypical, but it's been a blessing. Like honestly, it's been it's been really great uh, being in Paris. Um, Right now, we're having uh, issues finding staff. That's why Rigmarole is still closed. Like Mm -hmm. we've been closed for a year now since uh, last October, Um, uh, and it's it's been a little bit rough getting it back off the ground um both because we now have a child we now have a second business we uh, and, and finding the right staff like like I said we're, we're very few people and the entire concepts both of them are uh, very personality based uh, they're not it's not something you can just copy paste or you can even explain it's it's about sensibility and about a philosophy and a way of looking at ingredients and preparation and all you know, the gestures, how you talk to customers. So it's been, it's been really, 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 really complicated finding good staff or, or staff period. So that's been one of our, one of our big issues. Uh, but it's looking like there's like, and Amazon.
2: we really didn't want to compromise. We really want to make sure folder all runs smoothly before we, before we open rigmarole. And we also want to open rigmarole, you know, and try to meet everyone's expectations after being closed for mm-hmm. so long. Um, we don't want to half-ass anything. So we're really just taking our time. <laughs>
0: is there a good kind of like rapport or camaraderie with other restaurant tours in either the neighborhood or the city? Like, or is everyone kind of siloed in their own kind of world? I know a lot of restaurants kind of put their blinders on when every, when shit hit the fan. But for y'all, what's kind of been the support network that you have?
2: Oh, everyone's always been really supportive yeah. and helpful whenever we need. There was a there There's was...
1: a big WhatsApp group of all the, the, the sort of restaurateurs, um, and, you know, we would just sort of uh, shout out both ideas and questions, and uh, anytime there'd be a different update that would happen, it would just always be... Uh, all the
2: financial aid forms that you have to yeah, figure
1: yeah. out. And... Yeah, yeah, because it's, 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 it's a labyrinth, you know, and so mm-hmm. you, you just need, you know, obviously we have your accountants, but uh it's, you need you need to have that sort of uh yeah there's a huge support network and and but that's always been the case but also
2: everyone's just trying to survive everyone's going through the same hard time of finding and keeping uh personnel yeah it's been yeah, uh, it's been, uh, it's been, really a, it's been a huge huge struggle okay. um so yeah we're all we're all in it together but at the same time everyone's just <laughs> everyone's yeah. just trying to stay afloat
0: for everyone out there listening, when you're in Paris or if you are in Paris, check out Roll, snack some ice cream. Cool, guys. Thank you both so much. Thank you Such so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Brad. All right, guys. That is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Can stream every episode by the glass for Every you get your audio content. Um, Please do check out Folder Roll and Lurigam Roll when you're in the city. If you don't live here and follow them on Instagram, you can find their links in the bio to this app. So thank you all so much and we'll see you soon. I guess see you next year, right? <laughs> all right. See you in 2022. Bye.